0: All right. Hey, I got a question for you, family. It's good to see you. How's it, how we doing? Good week? Yeah? I had a good week. All right, I got a question for you. And I hope that you can feel like this is a safe space, okay? Um, I don't think any of your parents go to this church, so you, you should be safe to, to answer this truthfully. How many of you growing up, you know, as we're entering into that season of, of Advent, that season before Christmas, this is like, in my house, This these are some of the most like stressful moments for my children because they know somewhere in our little bitty flat there are Christmas presents. They just can't seem to figure out where they are at the moment. And so it's just causing this great Anxiety in them, but let me ask you a question. Growing up, how many of you ever, uh, <laughs> how many of you ever went on the great treasure hunt of trying to find your Christmas presents early, and you found where your parents had stashed them? Anybody? You can raise your hand, right? Okay. For those of you who don't have your hands up in the air, you can repent for lying this morning, okay? Because I know I did. Now, my mother listens to this podcast, Mom. I'm sorry that I found all those presents throughout the years, please forgive me, but I'll I'll never forget as a 13-year-old finding one day whenever I was at home and my mom was still at work, finding what I thought was going to be the greatest Christmas present of that year, and it was finding in a cupboard this. That's right, it's the Vanilla Ice to the Extreme cassette tape that I couldn't wait to get. Right, but I knew if I had opened it and started listening to it while Mom was at work, she would notice because the wrapping paper was off of it. But, anyways, you know, a lot of, a lot of the, the, the. Uh, Maybe, that, maybe you're just seeing a side of Pastor Brad you didn't expect to see today, huh? Uh, but, so mu- but, but so much of, of what Christmas is about is that anticipation, right? Well, here's what I wanted to do, too. I want to take that spirit of anticipation. I also want to take that spirit of peeking and attack today's scripture from a different way. We're going to peek at what the theme of today is all about. So if you have your Bible, your Bible app, you can open it up to Psalm chapter 4. And we're going to take a sneak peek at where today is going, okay, just so you know. We're in Psalm chapter 4, and you can look at verse Seven, kind of as your sneak peek. All right, as you look at it, that's this is kind of the next theme of 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 Advent. Last week we talked about love. That's what the heart illustrates. This week we're talking about. Does anybody have any guesses? Today is joy. That's what the trumpet represents. Okay, so today the sneak peek verse we're going to get to is you. This is David writing these words to the Lord. He says, you have given me greater joy than those who have abundant harvests of grain and new wine. And we're talking about joy today. And it's it's interesting, like... Um, the, the the author who wrote this, you know, the guy who, who who kind of penned these words, was a guy named David, and and David has a really an amazing story. David grew up as the youngest of a really large family, and as the youngest, he was kind of given, as he worked his way up, really the the, the, the least important of all the jobs because in that culture that he grew up in, the the oldest son just got all the breaks. That meant he was guaranteed the inheritance when the dad died, that meant that he was pretty much guaranteed to get all of the land, all of the livestock, and he got the best jobs because he had to learn how to manage a household. And so as as you had more kids, they got the less and less and less important jobs. And so as we kind of discovered David, as we are introduced to him throughout the Old Testament, he's first introduced to us as a little child, who is tending sheep, right? And so the story goes that this kid who was tending the sheep, kind of the lowest uh, duty of the the sons, was anointed by God's prophet to be the king of Israel. God says, this is going to be the man, that's going to be the king of my chosen people. And so he's anointed king. The only problem was there's already a king right? The guy's name was Saul. And well, if you're the king, you kind of start to live a pretty good lifestyle, right? You got people to serve you, to to make you clothes, to wash your clothes, to fix your food, to clean your plates, to make your bed, to do all these things for you. And so that's not a lifestyle that any of us are just going to willingly give up, right? And so what happens is Saul becomes this guy that is consumed with trying to destroy this guy that he knows is going to be anointed king. So he sends out people to try to take care of David. So David goes from – his life story goes from – he becomes – he's a shepherd. He's anointed to be the next king of Israel, and he has to spend years on the – Hiding out in the land, trying to hide from the king and the king's hired assassins. So eventually what happens is David and like his inner circle of friends, his, his, his crew, if you will, are hiding out in caves just so they could stay alive. And then obviously, the story goes then that he becomes the king of Israel. So he gets to transition from living in, t- taking care of stinky, dirty, smelly sheep to hiding out in, in dark, damp caves, hiding for his life. Then be get introduced into this life of being the king and moving into the palace. And that's a great story, but it gets even more interesting from there, obviously hitting a lot of the high points of the guy's life. But um, what happens later on in his life is that his son, a guy named Absalom, so last week we talked about how if you are pregnant or you're trying to decide what your next child's name is, don't name them Gomer, right? Because so if you're going to have a son, please don't name him Absalom, okay? So uh, his son Absalom, decides he wants to be the king, tries to overthrow him, actually ends up doing it. And David and the same inner circle that was with him years before has to flee for his life because his son wants to kill him. So he goes back and he has to hide in a cave. And so that guy is the guy who wrote this song. And most commentators, most historians, most biblical people who, who poured their entire life to studying the original text and the timeline of it believe that Psalms 3 and Psalms 4 were written during the timeline when David was hiding from his son in a cave while his son had overthrown his kingdom and was trying to kill his own dad. So if you, you, know, if you have, if, uh, first of all, I want you to know I'm not trying to define tragedy for you today. But if you had a week worse than David, I need to talk with you, okay? I want to buy you a cup of coffee and pray for you because if, you're, if, you, if you can top the story of a guy who went from being the king to his son, overthrowing him, and then trying to kill him and having to hide out in a cave, you just had a really crummy week, and I'm sorry, right? But um, that was a bad joke that I set up. But anyways, the point is is that was the guy that wrote this psalm. And so that's what we're going to look at today, and it has to do with the subject of joy. And joy is not really a word that we really use except for maybe like a two-week window out of the year, right? Like we don't talk about how in the middle of August, hey, guess what the weatherman has said? It's going to be 38 degrees with 120% humidity, and there was much joy in Hong Kong, right? That's not really a word we use a lot except during this time of year. And I think what it is, too, is we've kind of taken just the, just the circumstances of, of, of when we use that word and maybe associated it and skewed it from its original meaning. Last A few weeks ago, we talked about what the joy of the Lord was as we concluded our Nehemiah series, right? We talked about how it's a deep thankfulness for who God is and what he's done. But today we're going to continue on and and hit some more notes on on joy itself. So if you have your Bibles, we're just going to look at Psalm chapter 4, and we're going to look at the entire Psalm today. It's only eight verses, okay, so don't get too worried, but let's look at it together, okay? Psalm chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Answer me when I call to you, O God, who declares me innocent. Free me from my troubles. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. How long will you people ruin my reputation? How long will you make groundless accusations? How long will you continue your lies? You can be sure of this. The Lord set apart the godly for himself. The Lord will answer when I call to him. Don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't think about it overnight or think about it overnight and remain silent. Offer sacrifices in the right spirit and trust the Lord. And we're at verse six now. It says, many people say, who will show us better times? Let your face smile on us, Lord. then verse seven you've given me greater joy than those who have abundant harvests of grain and new wine. In peace I will lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, will keep me safe. So first of all, can you kind of picture the man writing this psalm while he's hiding in a cave for fear of his life? I'll tell you right now, if, if my life went from the cave to the palace, then back to the cave, my psalm would probably look a little bit different than David's. I'd probably be singing the blues and being a whole lot more complainy than David. But I think maybe that's why God placed David in this role before me so that I can learn from his faith. We can learn from his faith. But, but I want us to go back and we're going to kind of break that down today because what, there's a whole lot packed into these eight verses that have to deal, I think, sometimes with joy. But I think it's important for us to start to understand really more about this psalm itself. As you read through this, uh, David kind of hits on and he talks to to a few different audiences. First, as you look at Psalm, Psalm chapter four, verse one, this is David saying, answer me when I call to you, O God. So he's speaking these words to God at first. He said, you're the God who declares me innocent. David was saying, you know what? I, this is comp- I've been completely wronged. I've been just, I've done the right, I've, done, I've taken all the right steps, but this is the circumstance that I've gotten, that you're the God who declares me innocent. So please free me from these troubles, have mercy on me, and hear my prayer. But then he kind of goes on, and there's three different people he kind of hits on or he talks to throughout this, throughout this, this song. And the first one is, is this, these are, the, these are kind of the first audience he speaks to next in verse two are his enemies. Like these are the people that are kind of in Absalom's crew that are after him. And so look what he's saying to them. How long will you people ruin my reputation? How long will you make groundless accusations? How long will you continue your lies? So, you know, the political world has not changed one bit in the thousands of years from David's reign to today. And in that, whenever the people of of Israel started to see a shift and Absalom took over and became the king, they immediately started trying to win a seat at this table of Absalom. And so they they tried to separate themselves from David, right? Because you don't want to be associated with the king's enemies or else you become his enemy. So a lot of the ways that people try to distance themselves from people is they start to spread to say negative things about them. They start to share and tell lies about people. And that's what David is kind of hitting on with these types of people. He's starting to say, look, you who are my enemies, I want, how long are you going to continue to try to ruin my reputation? How long are you people going to continue to say all these things about me? But then you kind of move on, right? And then you start to see he, t- he speaks to another set of people. But he says this to his enemies. Says, you can be sure of this, my enemies. The Lord set apart the godly for himself. And the Lord will answer me when I call to him. So he speaks these to his enemies as he's writing this, as he's penning this in a cave hiding for his life. And so as these, this inner circle of his, the guys who've been with him, kind of his ride or die crew, right, from the very beginning, the guys who have been with him from the beginning, who are back there with him in the cave, start to get angry. He they, they sees these, these warriors, these guys who've been with him through thick and now through thin, and, 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 and he sees this anger start to well up in them. And we see something, by the way, a little footnote that, that maybe perhaps sometimes we don't touch on in, in church And in that he says this, don't sin by letting anger control you. Did you know it's okay to be angry at times? Number one, well, first of all, let's back up. It's, it's not okay to, to, there's two types of anger, right? There's the angry you get Whenever the person takes your seat on the train and you had a long day and all you wanted to do was sit down for three stops to get home and that little old lady sneaks in and sits down in front of you, right? And then you go through this, like, philosophical dilemma of saying to yourself, I just got angry at somebody's grandmother. What kind of person am I? And, and But you get – this city has these little, like, flash mo- flashpoint moments that just, like, spark off a little bit of anger in you, right? Whenever you're walking up to the lift and you see the person doing this move, right? The tap, 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 tap on the, on the button so that it closes and they get a little bit of a moment to themselves but you have to wait for the next lift, right? Has anybody experienced that before? I experienced that this morning right? It's only eleven ten 10 a.m., okay? But there's those moments that, that, that anger comes from somebody doing you inconveniently, right? It's not necessarily a matter of, of right or wrong. It's just a matter of your convenience a lot of times where we get angry, right? But then there's the other type of anger. There's the anger whenever you see injustice in this world, whenever you see people who are being taken advantage of, Whenever you see someone who's doing the best that they can and doing things the right way and being honest and truthful and full of character, and that opens the door, unfortunately, for people to be taken advantage of in today's world. That's a type of anger that you're allowed to have. But – David says to his friends who, who have that type of anger, they see what Absalom has done. They see the injustice in their current situation, in their friend's current situation. And I got to tell you right now, I hope that you have some cave friends in your life. I hope that if you don't start praying, God, give me some friends that will be with me in the palace, but will also be with me in the cave. Right. And they see this injustice, but they didn't turn their back on him. They stayed with him. But it, it's, it causes them to kind of work themselves up. But look what David does. And, and I love this because this gives me absolute permission to do this as a, as a parent. Basically, what David does, is David says, you know what? Be quiet and go to bed. And since he kind of puts his friends into time out, doesn't he? He says to his friends, look, I know you're angry, but I just can't deal with it right now. Go lay down over there on that rock that you've been sleeping on and just be quiet and don't let this consume you so much. Because he he doesn't want his friends to react out of anger. Again, that type of anger to injustice in this world oftentimes is placed there by God. But God does not want us to react out from that emotive state. He wants us to respond from that motivation. And you guys are all very, very smart people. You know the difference between reacting and responding, right? Reacting is oftentimes what you do whenever you don't really wanna be proud of what you're doing. Responding is oftentimes the right way, yeah? And I know this doesn't seem very Christmassy, but just hang with me, okay? But the, the, that's the second group of people that David speaks to you in this. And so we continue on where he says, Offer sacrifices in the right spirit and trust the Lord. So after you've acknowledged that you're angry, that you saw this injustice happening to me, this is what David's saying to his friends, cool yourself off, connect with God and trust He's got it taken care of. Too often in life, we tend to look at things through too short of a sight, don't we? We tend to be too short-sighted at our life. And then what happens is that whenever we, we focus on what is right in front of us, what's right in front of us looks way bigger than what it actually is. Here's what I like you to do. Pull out your Bible, pull out your phone, and you can experience this firsthand. I want you to hold this up like this, okay? Look like maybe you're the guy that forgot his reading glasses at home, okay? So you hold it up, and see how big the text looks to you. Maybe it's a little blurry depending on your age, but then see how much bigger it is than if you hold it back here. And do you see the scale? If you were to hold the text back here at arm's length, you see just how small... In relative size, it actually is. And that's what we do a lot of times with circumstances, with problems, with, with hurts, isn't it? We try to hold those hurts, those problems, those circumstances where things just don't work out the way we want them to. So close, so that then they're magnified and they look bigger than what they really are in the scale of our entire life. And then if you take that and you the scale of your entire life, according to James chapter 4, is nothing but a mist that shows up in the morning and then is gone, that perspective immediately makes you start to think, maybe I can handle what's in front of me. Because if you take just this season of life where you were looked over for that promotion, where she turned you down for a date, where they told that lie about you, and you view it in the time span of not even eternity, eternity, but of your 80 or 90 years that God has given you on this earth. That little week of hurt in the scale of your life doesn't seem as significant, does it? But that's what David was telling to his friends. Like, guys, just hang tight. God's got this. Let's trust the Lord that this is not the end of the story. And let's continue on. And then he talks about the third time, the third group of people, doesn't he? He says, many people say, who will show us better times? Let your face smile on us, Lord. And this is the group of people, this third group is, is, I think maybe where a lot of us fall in. And these are the people, these are the people who just want God to bless them. These are the people who say, I did get that promotion. God must love me more than that guy because he let me have it. Or, man, I really did well at my at, at school, and I got that A. And God must be really proud of me. Or as a kid, like you get the bigger present than your younger brother. Therefore, your parents actually love you more than them, right? All the older siblings say Amen, right? But but you you, you and maybe all the younger siblings get a little bit more angry. And I brought some PTSD upon your life or something. But um, but it's it's the people who just you take the circumstance. And you apply it and then you start to, to view your your, your your view of God is changed by that circumstance. And if you get what you want, then God is great. But if you don't get what you want, then God just doesn't have anything to, to care about you and you don't really have anything to care about God. And what we tend to do and what we, we, we tend to do is we try, this is where it comes into where we start to connect this with the subject of joy, right? I have a video I want to show you. It's a it's a video that um, was a commercial put out a few years ago by by an airline. Um, and so is our is our computer unmuted, Mark? So I want to show you this because I think this this kind of captures and encapsulates what what Christmas tends to be because we allow circumstances to determine joy in our life. Are we ready? Okay
1: watch this hey there podcast listeners uh pastor brad here so at this moment in our sermon i showed about a five minute video from a canadian uh, airline company uh, who did a special campaign during christmas and so rather than making you listening to audio of that video uh, during this time i've made it easy for you and we've added that video clip to our website, so if you go to uh, newheightshongkong.com and then click on the news, uh, just search for today's date. Today is Monday the 10th of December 2018 when we recorded this, and you'll get to see the, uh, the video that uh, was in this spot in the sermon. So go ahead and hit pause when I say so. And then go to our website, and then that might make a little more sense when you come back to the podcast. Okay, you ready? And hit pause in three, two, one.
0: So I think uh, I saw a few of you trying to book some flights on WestJet during that, that video. Uh, but uh, so here's the lesson you should learn from this, okay? If you go to an airport lounge and Santa asks you what you want for Christmas, go big, folks. I mean, imagine, imagine being socks and underwear guy, right? Boy, talk about like literally living with regret while these people are having three people carry their TV out of the lounge, right? Boy, okay. so no, but, So what has happened with us is that so often – what we do is we find joy in this type of season because we connect that joy with a feeling and that feeling is, is um, sprung up in us, is begun whenever we receive something. When joy is not a transactional word. Joy does not imply receiving. It implies being with God. And David understood this. That's why from the darkness of a cave with enemies searching and assassins sent by his own son are roaming the plains, roaming the mountains, trying to find him. And his very like inner circle of people who are just angry He can say these words that I have a greater joy. I have a greater joy. And what he's saying is that, God, you've given me a greater joy than any of the people who are out there outside of this cave had on their best day. And those people who just say, God, I just want you to bless me. And whenever they get something, because God is a giving God. When they receive that, they find that happiness that eventually fades because joy is not a transactional word. What we tend to do, if we're not careful, if we're not intentional, is we tend to connect joy with an experience. And you try to find that joy from, from getting the snowboard at the airport to to getting that vanilla ice cassette tape, right? I've I've repented of that, by the way. That's my old life, and my new life has begun. I choose. I hope I listen to better music today than then. But um, but we we tend we tend to connect and seek out joy in that experience. But as just as happy as every single person that the producers who made this commercial made those people look like, can I tell you a little secret? Eventually those socks will get holes in them. The OS on that tablet will stop being supported. There'll be a bigger, better TV that comes out. You'll crash and crack your snowboard. And all those experiences will eventually crumble and fade away. So why are we trying to find everlasting joy in things that will eventually crack and crumble and be outdated and batteries will die on? See, David understood that's not where joy is found. Joy is not found in experiences because these people who get these huge abundant harvests of grain and new wine may have happiness for a little bit, but then they've got to go back to work and start planting new seeds for new grain. Joy is not found in an experience, folks, joy is found in a relationship. We were all wired for connection, but where we've missed it as people is that oftentimes we try to be connected to the gift rather than the giver of the gift, And so when we don't get what we want, when we don't get what God blesses us, wants to bless us with, what we think God should bless us with, that's when we hold, hold that problem too close to our face. So you can't connect joy with an experience. Joy is only found in a relationship. And that's where we see Jesus' words in John fifteen eleven start to make more sense. Where Jesus tells his people, I told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. See, Jesus didn't say, I have given you all these things, right? He didn't say this at the wedding where he turned water into wine. He didn't say, I've given you this wine so this wine will give you joy. It will for a little bit, then you wake up in the morning and you have a headache, right? But he's saying, I have poured my life into you. I've shared my life with you because this is starting to head towards the end of the Gospel of John where just a few chapters later, Jesus is betrayed, arrested, beaten within an inch of his life and then forced to carry the instrument of his own death on his back up a hill and then willingly sacrifice himself for us. So the context of when Jesus says this is this is right at the end of where he's poured three years of his life into his disciples. Because he knows, because Jesus understands. Of course he does, because he invented joy. joy Jesus understands that, that joy is found only in relationships, not experiences, things, pay, whatever. It's only everlasting in relationships. And that's why David, hiding out in a cave, can say, I have greater joy than anybody else in this world on their greatest day because I have that relationship with God. You see, joy pays no attention to circumstance because it doesn't take those light and momentary problems and put it close to our face. It puts us even further out on the horizon of our life and makes us realize how in the in when compared to the mist of our life when compared to the scope of eternity it's not that big a deal it's not that big a deal you know it reminds me of of the one of the parables that Jesus told i think it's right after the, the sermon on the mount he talks about how um there's these two men and they built their homes, right? And one of them and they both built them close to close to some prime ocean front property, right? And one of the men built it facing the ocean, but he built it on sand, and whenever the storm came his house fell and crumbled and and, and he lost it all. But there was another man who built his house on a foundation of stone and rock so that when the storms came, his house withstood it, right? And we know that story because the, the, you know, the, the, the moral of the story, the lesson, the, the, the thing that we're supposed to apply to our life is to build our life on Christ. But there's something we oftentimes overlook, and it's that both men face storms. There's no way to avoid storms. And there's a correlation that I don't, I don't have enough time to get into, but there's a correlation between the amount of joy oftentimes that you have in life is connected to the amount of suffering that you've had to endure. If you look at Scripture time and time again, there's, there's example, after example after example of men, of women, of people who have gone through and endured suffering but have greater joy than anybody else in this world. I don't know any other nicer way to say it, but if you want joy to increase in your life, you probably are going to have to go through some type of suffering. But in the scale of it all, what does the Bible call it? A light and momentary problem. And even though it may seem like a big deal at the moment. I'm not trying to tell you to disregard your feelings, your emotions, right? David didn't even tell his friends to do that. He said, friends, it's okay for you to be angry. It's okay for you to be upset, but don't let that control you. Don't react to that, friends. Right? Acknowledge that, but understand that if you are building your house on that rock, You will withstand it. You will endure. Because your joy is found in a relationship. And if you are in Christ, it's a living relationship. In a few weeks when we talk about hope, we're going to talk about a living hope. It's a hope that is alive today. And as we continue to move towards the birth of Christ, it was our ability to have that properly connected relationship to let us understand and tap into joy that was born. Let's pray. <sighs> God I pray that uh, I pray that that you would remind us in, in the seasons where it isn't working out the way that we had thought it might that um, that you're with us. I pray that we would not be a people who try to connect our joy with experiences, but connect it and find joy in relationship with you. And it's a relationship with you that never expires, that never becomes outdated, that doesn't become obsolete, that doesn't crack, decay, fray, get holes in it, or fall apart. It's a joy that is just as fresh, and active today as it was, Jesus, when you were born thousands of years ago. So we thank you. God, we, we worship you. May we may we find ways this week to connect with you relationally so that our joy could be secure, so that we continue to build our life. Upon that rock solid foundation.
1: We love you. We lift our voices to you. In
0: Jesus' name we pray. We stand, we sing this with me as we close out today.